I'm not sure how convicting the website thing was intended to be. I think Pastor Tim took one of those pastoral licenses that we're all kind of known for, but uh, I think uh, it'll feature a little bit later in the sermon, so we'll wait and see how that's going to hit. Let me read to you from Jim Elliott. This is actually written by his wife, Elizabeth, in the book, Through Gates of Splendor. This is one of the things that Jim Elliott, that famous missionary who was martyred, For Christ, one of the things he said, I want this to sort of pin us right now to the sermon, to the scriptures, and let us start to interact with it. Here's what he wrote. Wherever you are, be all there. Now that is way more profound than it initially appears. Wherever you are, be all there. He goes on, live to the hilt every situation you believe to be the will of God. If you believe you're in the will of God, then live to the hilt every situation. Wherever you are, be all there. I'm going to do something that is remarkable for me, and that is we're going to cover 70 verses this morning. And I'm going to be here for 10 hours. (laughs) You might not be, and I would understand. Hopefully we're not going to be here that long. But we're going to cover 70 verses in part because, honestly, I don't know how to pronounce most of the names. And neither are you. I could call them whatever I want, and you're going to think, wow, what a scholar he is. And I would be lying. So I don't know how to pronounce them, but that's not really why I'm not going verse by verse. It's because instead of looking at each name, which there would be value in it, if you get digging into the background of each one that the Bible gives us light on, It's more the principles. I'm going to extract five principles this morning. And they're going to be how to build the church and fill the city. Now, chapter 7, go ahead and glance through it. you got your Bible open, I hope. And you're looking at unintelligible names and numbers. Irrelevant, it seems. Why are they in the Bible? What do we do with them? Well, let me remind you of what 2 Timothy 3 says. All scripture, I had a professor in my undergrad that used to be fond of saying this, all means all, and that's all that all means. So all scripture, every bit of it, is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training, and righteousness, that the man of God, the woman of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. So somehow chapter 7 equips us to live rightly for God. Somehow these names and these numbers, they've got an impact transformationally in our lives, and God has purposefully put it into his Bible to strengthen us. So you don't get to chapter 7, you don't get to the beginning of Matthew, you don't get to the genealogies of chronicles and skip them thinking don't know why they're in there you've got to extract you've got to pull out of them why god put them in there so i want to do that this morning five principles how to build the church and fill the city and let's look together at verse four this is where we left off last week the city was wide and large but the people within it were few and no houses had been rebuilt what do you do with that Well, let me offer principle number one. God wants to fill his church with people who will build his kingdom. 
God wants to fill his church with people who will build his kingdom. We've got Jerusalem. Now, if you're going to, if you're going to be a student of the book of Nehemiah, while it is a historical book, it's called an historical book. And while it is history, it really happened. There's nothing untrue here. And a lot of this is verified through Persian records and records that were written at that time. But while it happened, there is a meaning for the modern day Christian. So Jerusalem, the city that Nehemiah is rebuilding, Jerusalem represents today the church. Jerusalem then, the church today. Now you've got that already, right? It's coming to a lie. It should start to come alive a little bit. There's a wall that's being built around Jerusalem and God wants that wall built around the church. Jerusalem represents the church. Listen, it also represents the individual believer. And the church is made up of all who, you got to get this, made up of all who come to God through Jesus. If you haven't come to God through Jesus, you're not in the church. You might be in the building. You might be on the membership roll of some churches. But you're not in the spiritual church until you come to God through Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus. And when you do, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, whether you're rich or poor, white collar, blue collar, it doesn't matter. It's if you come to God through Jesus Christ, you are in the church. Now go back to the text. Jerusalem, wide and large. I'll give you some measurements to it in a minute. Wide and large, it was sitting empty. Wide and large, sitting empty. By the way, have you ever gone... To a church where you got all of these seats or all of these pews and there's hardly anybody there worshiping. You ever been there? Isn't that depressing? It's discouraging. There's something not right with that picture. It's sad. And it's the same with Jerusalem. You're ready. Jerusalem church. Here's Jerusalem. It's big. It's got a lot of pews, so to speak. It's got a lot of space, but there's not a lot of people living in it. And there's a lot of homes that are broken down. They're in rubble. Now, let's keep tying it into modern day. How many, don't answer this, between you and God, how many of your marriages are broken down? How many of your kids are walking away from the Lord? How many of you are financially in ruin? How many of you are overcome with addictions and sin and God is convicting you? You just can't seem to find freedom. How many are discouraged? Starting to fall into, I don't know whether I believe this anymore. So you got this wide and large church called Jerusalem and all and a lot of the homes and all of the homes, it says, are still in ruin. And there's not a lot of people living there. How big was Jerusalem? Well, some estimates are 200 acres large. That's huge. You know, the Howers, if you've been to their home, they've got an 88 acre farm. More than double it. That's big. If you've been to their property, you've seen the row of trees that go around it. You know how big it is. You More than double it, you've got the size of Jerusalem. And its walls were rebuilt nearly two miles around. The temple was functioning, but it's a ghost town. And it's, got a, it's filled with broken down homes. Friends, we're already paralleling it today. God wants the city of our church 
to have a strong wall and to be filled with healthy homes and celebrants and worshipers to God. And where the church is, there ought to be abundant life. There ought to be joy. There ought to be healing. And by the way, this is what the church, this is what Christians are to bring, according to Isaiah 58. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. This is to be true of the people of God. You and I, this is what we ought to be doing as we repair the breaches and restore the streets. See, God wants a city. He wants his church filled with people celebrating and rejoicing and serving him. Do you know that he gives us permission to pray for this? Do you know our board this year is praying what I'm about to explain to you? We're praying that God would fill this church and fill Christ-centered churches in the East End of the Lehigh Valley. Here's, here's what God says. If God says, this is how I want you to pray, then we ought to learn this is how to pray. Here's what he says. Thus says the Lord God, this also I will let the house of Israel ask, pray me to do for them. There's our permission to increase their people like a flock. But not just any, any kind of people, like the flock for sacrifices. This is what we're praying. God, bring people to this church who are ready to serve. If you've been coming to our church recently, then I, I think God's answering this prayer. I look at you as God's answer to our prayer. That you're here not wanting to sit in the pew. You're here not wanting to be a nominal Christian. You're here to serve, to get involved, to be faithful where God has planted you. Here's what it says. Like the flock at Jerusalem during her appointed feast, so shall the Eastons, the Penargels, the Bangers, the Windgaps, the Peabergs, the Stewartsvilles, and the Regalsvilles, all of them be filled, their waste cities. Filled with flocks of God's people. Then they will know that I am the Lord. Why are we praying this? For our reputation to be a mega church? Listen, if you know our vision to be multi-siting, that we've bought a church that in a couple months we're about to plant another congregation. You don't do that if you want to be a mega church because that will purposefully and intentionally keep us small congregations. But that's by design. We want to stay in smaller congregations so there's more intimacy, so you can live life on life and travel through this kingdom together with each other. So we're praying as a board. I'm inviting you, pray with us, Ezekiel 36. Ask God to increase this church with people who are ready to serve him and make his name famous, to fill the way cities. Look at Easton. Look at Nazareth. Phillipsburg. Look at all the homes that are broken. We're no different than Jerusalem. Do you know that Easton is called the gateway to New York City? Do you know that? It has that phrase attached to our city. Because it's through 78 and 22 that drug trafficking blooms and profits. Do you know that there is a higher than average prostitution epidemic in Easton. Do you know that nationally, Easton ranks way above the average for single-parent homes, broken homes? And the church alone, listen, the church alone holds the answer. It's the transformational power 
of the gospel. It's the exaltation of Jesus Christ. By the way, did you catch the gun laws that were passed and signed in? Listen, I'm all about safety. But go through those gun laws and see if any of them make its way to the heart. Where moral evil resides. You cannot legislate morality. Those gun laws won't work. They'll make it harder to get one. But they will not work in evil. What works is the gospel. What works is the church rising up and saying, we're going to fill the waste cities with those who love Jesus Christ, and we're going to bring transformation through the kingdom of God. That's what works, and it's always worked, and that's the vision of this church. So how are we going to build the church and fill the city? How are we going to do it? Principle number two, you ready? Number one was God wants to fill the church with people who will build his kingdom. Secondly, God wants us to learn to walk by faith. That is hard. We don't like that. Verse 5, Then my God put it into my heart. My God put it into my heart. Notice, listen, notice no angel. No angel visited Nehemiah with a church growth scroll. And he didn't attend a conference for training. He didn't hire church growth consultants. And none of those are necessarily wrong. And they can be helpful, but they're not the the primary biblical model. God reveals his will as we spend time together in his word and prayer. It's always been the way it works. Are you approaching an intersection in life where you've got to make a decision? Maybe you're there already. By the way, you know the word crisis means decision. Whenever you're in a crisis, you've got to decide what you're going to do. You're, you're given a fork. And you've got to decide which way to go. Well, listen, when we approach these intersections and we've got to make decisions like these, what major will I take at college? Will I go to college? Will I get a job? What career do I want to get? Do I marry this person or not? What medical treatment should I, should I take when their options are diverse? All of these decisions, all of these intersections, when you get there, how does God guide us? How do we know his will? Does God download a file into our minds called my will for you? And you double click it through prayer and all of a sudden the vista of what God wants opens up. That's not the way it works. It'd be nice. He streams his will. He doesn't plug in a thumb drive. And all of a sudden you see it. He streams it in the moment when you need to know it. And you connect to him through the modems of prayer and the word of God. That's how he reveals his will. Listen, if you're not in God's word and you're not on your knees or metaphorically on your face in prayer, you're not going to see God's will clearly. Rather, he will be opening and closing doors and oftentimes that's painful. Notice a hint. At what Nehemiah is going to teach us. God streams his will when we're in relationship with him. Look what he says. Then my God. Not a God. Not a religion. Not some deity. My God. Connection is established. This is my God. He loves me and I love him. We have a relationship and it's through that relationship that he streams and makes his will known. You know, I always listen for people here. 
This happened recently in my life group. People will say things like, you know, your church did a pretty good job at Riverside, or I like your church, I like the music. And I'm always saying to them, when are you going to start saying our church? When will it move from your church to our church or my church? This is Nehemiah. It's not your God. It's not a God. It's my God. And that is light years apart. It's my God. I've got a relationship with him because if Jesus Christ is somebody else's savior, then you've got no connection with God. But when you can say, Jesus is my Savior, I have come to the Father through the Son. He is streaming His will into my heart as I am in His Word and as I am in prayer. You're going to hear God's will. But I want you to notice something that, to me, blew me out of the water. I have just seen this over and over in Nehemiah. It's been great for me to learn it as a pastor. Notice when. God gave these instructions to Nehemiah. Let's look back at verse 5. Look at that first word. Then. Now, you might be thinking, wow, that is incredibly anticlimactic. <laughs> it wasn't five months previous when Nehemiah is sitting in the winter residence of the Persian kings in Susa. And he's crying out to God, my people are in great trouble and disgrace. It wasn't then that God downloaded this plan and said, okay, Nehemiah, here's everything I want you to do. He didn't do it. His word lights up one more step. It will not light up down the path. He's teaching us to live by faith. Listen, it wasn't, it wasn't even day 26 of the wall building halfway through. It took 52 days to build the wall. It wasn't halfway through that God said, okay, Nehemiah, pretty soon you've probably been noticing a lot of empty homes are broken down in rubble. Not a lot of people living here. Um, here's what I, want, uh, what I want you to do. He didn't say it day 26. He didn't say it until after the wall was built on this particular day. Then God put it into my heart. How often we want God, the plan to be given to us. What are we going to do in 10 years? He's not going to give it almost rarely will he ever give it. He says, here's what I want you to do today. Can you learn to walk by faith and not by sight? And friends, if you're anything like me, that is extraordinarily difficult. There's another principle. So far, we've seen God wants to fill his church with people who are going to serve him. God wants us to learn to walk by faith but thirdly, God wants us to trust that he gives us everything we need to do all that he's ever going to ask. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that at the conviction level of your heart? God will never ask us to do anything that he will not empower us to do. He puts into Nehemiah's heart. Here's the plan, ready? God, God is downloading or streaming rather into Nehemiah. Here's what I want you to do. Nehemiah, you've got to fill the city. You've got to build the, the city. You've got to fill it. And here's how you're going to do it. And look what Nehemiah does. Assembles the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I don't know if this strikes you the way it did me when I was studying this, that, that felt like one of those bad punchlines or that joke that you make that's inappropriate and nobody laughs. Stunned silence. It's like, God, are you kidding me? This is your plan? Get everybody together and open up the membership roles? 
This is how I'm going to fill the city? This is how we're going to bring fame to your name? Are you really serious? You know what you learn immediately? And we'll build off of it. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians. All things should be done decently and in order. If you're at a church and there is chaos swirling and it's worship and it's leadership, that is not the fingerprint of God. All things should be done decently and in order because it reflects the triune God. Is it exciting? Is the Spirit of God moving in new and surprising ways? Yes. Is it swirling with weirdness? That's not God. So we have membership classes. And we do track attendance. And we do budget wisely. Listen, if somebody like this last week comes to me or any of the elders or any of the leaders and says, hey, I want to I start a new ministry. I'm going to say, great, that's exciting. We've developed a tool for you. It's called the priority filter and we're going to give it to you. And it's got eight questions so that we don't get ahead of ourselves and become a church of disorganization. Because all things should be done decently and in a good order. If it can work its way through those eight questions, then let's give it the green light and let's start this ministry. That's how we discern it's from God. This last week, somebody said, I'm going to start a ministry. We began working through this, these eight questions and immediately began to realize it's not just the right time. It's a good ministry. It's not the right time. So we'll target the fall. This is how you keep things decently and in order. Building the church and filling the city, it's to be done thoughtfully, but there's a further reason that God wanted Nehemiah to pull out the membership records. And you're going to understand more clearly what God wants our church to do when you see who he's bringing to your church. This is one of the ways that we have designed the vision statement. We begun to see in our mission, we begun to see who God is bringing to our church, you and your gifts and your passions and your abilities. And we're designing the mission around you because God brings you everything you need to do everything he's asking you to do. Verse 7, look at what it says. Twelve names. You see those? Verse 7. A lot of people believe they represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And Nehemiah is saying, okay, we've got all the tribes present. Look at some of you are counting them. Would you just trust me? There's 12 names. I double checked it. Knowing that you don't trust me. Let's move on. So we've got all the tribes present. Now we can start to build the people of God. We've got all the representatives of these 12 tribes. And then he moves on to all the sons of as he counts the heads of the families. These are heads of the families. And then you get to verse 39. Remember, this is God wants us to trust that he gives us everything we need to do all that he asks. You get to thir verse 39. And look, at you, you start to see how many priests are there. And then you drill down a level to verse 43. And you get to see how many Levites and singers and gatekeepers that Nehemiah's got to work with. He's counting the cost before he builds. He's opening up the membership roles and saying, what, what do we have to work with? Verse 46, he starts to calculate all the assistance to the priests, the temple servants. You get to verse 61, and then he records all of those. And it was a bunch of people who said, I belong to Israel, but I can't prove my genealogy. 
Listen, let's bring it into modern day. It's people that come to our church, and there's several of you who come to our church and say, yeah, I want to be in this church. Well, have you, have you come to the Father through the Son? Well, I don't think I have yet. Well, then let's wait a little bit. Let's wait a little bit, come around you. We're not going to let you into membership yet. Membership is reserved for those who have a clear testimony and evidence of the Christian life. But wait a little bit. Be in our church. Let us come around. Let's teach you the gospel. They couldn't prove that they belonged to Israel. Look what it says in verse 61. They couldn't prove that they belonged to Israel. Nehemiah says, wait till a priest comes. Let's give God time to make it clear to all of us if you are in Christ or not. Look what he says. In the meantime, don't take communion. Don't eat the holy food. For it's God's people only that ought to come to the table. This is why we put that boundary, that guard around communion each month. It is not just 1 Corinthians 11. It's Nehemiah. The old meets the New Testament and teaches these truths. The whole group was 42,000 people. You add in the others listed, you're over 50,000 people. Friends, that's bigger than Joel Osteen's church. That's nearly twice the population of the city of Easton. Now listen, look at me for a second. Can you see 50,000 servants of God flooding our cities, our waste cities, serving Making the gospel known. I can see it. I can see it. It takes faith to see that. But can you see that God wants to increase our people like a flock of sheep who are ready to serve Him? It's not about building a mega church. It's not about building a reputation with us. It's about bringing glory to God, bringing fame to His name. And all of a sudden, the kingdom of God is exploding into the darkness of our area, giving people hope and life and purpose and transformation. This is vision. It takes faith. But Nehemiah shows us it can happen. You get to verse 70, and all of a sudden you get a record of all the money that was given to the work of God. Have you ever wondered, why do we track your giving? Why do we give you contribution reports that are rolling out about this time of the year? Listen, this is biblical. You open up the membership scrolls, you open up the budget. This is what Nehemiah was doing. God's giving us everything we need to do all that he's asked us to do. Here's what the heads of the families have given by the way, it would be kind of exciting, wouldn't it, if we published what you give? Nobody's laughing. I'll move on. I'm awkward and uncomfortable right now. <laughs> if you call this church yours, then we want to help you find your place here to serve. You know what we've done? You'll see it out in the foyer. There's an iPad. It's on the welcome table. You can get to it on our website. It's called Core 80. If you get to our website, you're going to see this. It's Core 80. You click onto that, and it gives you three options. You want to serve Saturday night, Sunday morning when we launch multi-site down at 2nd Street, Sunday morning here at 411 Mar Street. We need to get organized. We're, we're organizing forward, and we're giving you an opportunity. Here's how you can tell us. Here's where you want to serve, and here's what you'd like to do. You want to work in nursery? You want to work in children's ministry? You want to work in teen ministry? You want to work in Sunday school? You want to be an usher and a greeter on the welcome team? Listen, this is how you can begin to explain to us or alert us. Here's where I want to serve. 
And when you fill out that form, it's going to go to a campus pastor, either Pastor Matthew or Pastor Tim, and they're going to give you a call and say, great, thank you for signing up on this. Let's get you situated. Let's get you working on one of these teams. This is how we get people to the wall. So we're asking everybody, get to Core 80 on our website. You can do it right through the iPad. Let me give you a fourth principle. God wants men, listen, God wants men to lead beyond their generation. You ever notice anything? Skim down it. Chapter 7. You're only going to see men, the names of men. You won't see a woman's name on here. And if you're a liberal or being influenced by liberalism, then you're going to cry that Judaism was misogynistic, that God is chauvinistic, that the Bible's male-dominated. Well, there's two reasons, I think, and I want to extract them. Number one, when the Bible keeps accurate genealogy records, it lists people, people through the man's line of descent. Almost always it goes, son, so-and-so, son of so-and-so. But man, I want you to listen to what I'm going to tell you because we've got an epidemic problem with this. God has created and entrusted you men to serve and and lead graciously, courageously, and well. Listen, the absence of female names doesn't mean women are incapable of great things and unimportant. Over and over, from the Old Testament to the New Testament, God has raised up women to do remarkable things in His kingdom, and history proves the same thing. I read to you a quote from Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott died. The book was written by his wife, Elizabeth, who went back to the tribe that killed her husband and brought the transformational power of the gospel to bear. She's the one that gets more noted than Jim. He died. She lived for the gospel. This is not about women being second place. It's about men serving courageously, leading powerfully, graciously, and well. We have an epidemic problem. I want you to understand, Paul says, that the head of every man is Christ. Listen, men, this is why we lead courageously and sensitively, graciously, because we've got somebody that we answer to. And his name is Jesus. The head of a wife is her husband. And the head of Christ is God. Even the triune God is in order. The Father willed creation, the Son spoke creation, the Spirit of God brought it into being with His power. The same is true in salvation. And so you get to verse 8 in chapter 7. Let's read it together. The sons of Parosh, 2,172. The sons of Shephatiah, 372. The sons of Era, 652. And it goes over and over and on and on into oblivion. And all of a sudden we begin to see, wow, these are pretty notable people. Let me tell you why they're notable. This is amazing. This is a hall of faith in Nehemiah. Do you realize that? These are the men, Parosh, Shephatiah, These are the men who left the comfort of Babylon, the wealthiest nation on the planet, the security of having restarted their lives, left that to come back to a ruined and devastated and unprotected city of Jerusalem to rebuild her. These are men of faith. 
These are men that said, we will go and we will serve our God and we will bring his name fame. And we will do it by walking by faith. And it lists all of the numbers of their descendants and all the people that came out from them. And it's a hall of faith. Men, you've got to lead like I do beyond our generation. Are you thinking 5, 10, 20 generations after your life? How many of us do that? Somebody last night came up to me after the sermon and said, man, I can't even contemplate my current generation of my children, much less 5, 10, 20. Listen, if you're not thinking down the road, a 100 and 200 and 1,000 of your descendants, you're not thinking biblically. You're thinking too short-sightedly. We we are to pray, we are to ask God to give 15 generations of godly children. Men, we're to invest truth into our families and we salt it with grace so that it will produce godly generations. Listen, some of us come from bad families, pain and abuse. And the gospel promises that in your lifetime as you walk with God, he can change the trajectory of your line of descent. Where it was abusive here, he can redeem it there. And he can bring line after line of godly children to you. That's how you lead beyond your generation. The same is true for ladies. My wife has convinced me that she's right. I should just put a period right there. When she says, honey, you are the head of the home, but remember, I'm the neck that turns the head. (laughs) And she's right. Ladies, you are unbelievably influential. But men, there's a reason. There's a reason that there are names of men in chapter 7 in this hall of faith You've got to redeem your family line. You've got to sow grace for generations to come. Guys, listen to me. Can you imagine if you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and you're in heaven one day? Can you imagine 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 men and women coming to you and saying, thank you. Thank you for being faithful to our God for changing what you came from and for sowing grace. It impacted my life. I owe my faith to your faithfulness. 2,000 people before. You want to hear that? Man, I want to hear that. Man, we've got to lead beyond our generation. And that's what we're learning in Nehemiah. Let me give you one final principle this morning. And you're going to see it at the very end of the chapter. God wants us to rebuild right where we are. Look at verse 73. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants, and all Israel lived in their towns. They lived in their towns. It's how it ends. Listen, there's a couple reasons for this. The plan was not to rebuild the church of Jerusalem while all the families and all the cities around it remained carnal and in waste. You serve God right where you live. You serve God right where you work, right where you go to school, right where you compete on those teams with the people that you enjoy hobbies with. Listen, do you go to the gym and work out? You know, we've got a guy, go to a gym, 
And I'm, I'm always trying to find people to encourage. We have, a, we have a guy at the gym. I got to meet him. Number one, he's huge. I'm like a twig. I'm a large, fat twig, but I'm a twig next to him. I got to get to know this guy because he walked around like almost like he was in depression. And I got to know him more and more and I invited him to the church. He came to the church. He got to know I'm a pastor and he got to trust me a little bit. Finally, I came up to him at the gym in between a workout. I said, hey, listen, I'd like to get together with you because I can tell God's pursuing you and you're running. Is that right? Just tears started to well up in his eyes. Came to me last night in the locker room. I know that's a little awkward and freakish. Came to me last night and says, I don't know what's going on in my life. I hate myself. I am miserable. I said, it's because God's pursuing you. And he's ready to change your life. Let's get together Wednesday. I'm going to walk you through it. We're getting together Wednesday. It's the way it works. I got a guy at the gym that goes to our church. Every time I look, he's talking to somebody. He's talking. I know what he's doing. This is his ministry. He's making, even where he works out, an opportunity for the gospel. Are you meeting people for Christ? Wherever you are, that's where you build the church. That's where you fill the cities. Listen, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, they all worked on shifts. They had a week, two weeks a year, and they served a week at a time, the priests did. And when they weren't serving during those two weeks of the year, they went back to their towns, and guess what they did there? They did the same thing. They just were the priest of their village or their, ta- their town. Listen, you go home back to where you live, and you don't hang up Christ like a coat. You minister, you serve, you serve in the church. But listen, when you leave the church, you're going back to the mission field. What we're wanting to do is equip you and excite you and get you living on mission so that when you go back to where you're living your life, you're ready to bring the gospel and fill the city with his people. You know, we have school teachers in our church. We have a lot of them, by the way, that are finding ways to create a bridge between this church And their school, we're about to launch it for on-ramps. Give us opportunities to come around children and to come around hurting parents. This is in a school district where the single parent statistic is raging. It's rampant. We have a lady here who leads a choir in a nursing home. Why does she do that? Yeah, she loves elderly people, but she's bringing the gospel through music to these these people in the nursing home. We've got people that give, and they don't get paid for it. They work at CareNet Pregnancy Center. Why? Because they love women, and they know how to answer the questions when they're, when they're in desperate situations. And they want to bring the hope of Christ. We have somebody at, in our church who is taking his lunch break. He's working at a major business here in the Lehigh Valley, he takes his lunch break and he does a Bible study. Now listen, he does a Bible study and this past Christmas, the people that are in his Bible study group gave a plaque to him, thanking him for investing and for teaching them and bringing the gospel to bear in them. This is what you do when you live in your own town. It's how you build the church and fill the city. You know what's interesting is that this assembly, look at the beginning of verse 5 again or verse 4. You know, Nehemiah holds an assembly. That happens between the sixth and the seventh month of their calendar. All the people are going back home. 
And they're thinking and they're praying, what am I going to do? What am I going to do to serve our God? Look at chapter 8, verse 1. They're all about to come back in just a couple weeks. And they're going to come back. They're going to commit to their God. And the church of Jerusalem was about to get rolling. And it's going to be an amazing sight to see next week. Let's get ready for it. God wants to fill his church with people who will build his kingdom. God wants us to learn to walk by faith. God wants us to trust that he gives us all that we need to do all that he asks. He wants men to lead beyond their generation. He wants to rebuild right where we are. That's the call. Let's pray for God's help. Lord, thank you for this chapter that seems so odd, so irrelevant, but filled with principles that can encourage us, can guide us. Lord, I pray that we would learn them. Help us to fill the way cities. Let us build this church. Bring people to us. We can pray audaciously because you tell us to. Let us bring, let us see you bring people to us, Lord, not for our reputation, not for our glory, but Lord, for your famous name, that we would serve you, that we would see these cities change. We love you and we thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.